Welcome to Inspired by Faith, the program of the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. This is a show to help you be inspired by our Catholic faith, live out the gospel message, and deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm Michelle Fanley, and I'm joined each program in the studio with my dear friend, Emily Jaminette. We hope this show provides an uplifting 30 minutes to help refresh your soul and strengthen your faith. As it was born out of our friendship, we hope it encourages you to deepen and develop spiritual friendships with your sisters in Christ. Well, hey, Emily, it's so great to be here. How are you? I'm super excited. We are here in studio at St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. It's always a gift when we're here. And we got a big topic, a big, big, big show ahead of us. Yes. And it's um, the, the topic of healing and forgiveness. So this is something that we all need a little more of in our lives. So we are really honored and blessed to have a psychiatrist um, on the call with us today. Dr. Terry Meehan will be joining us here shortly. I love it. I was thinking like healing of the heart, healing of the mind, healing of mending, mending it all. And so I'm, I'm excited that we get to invite him in. Yes, I know. I've I've been really blessed to, um, I met Dr. Meehan at a Catholic Medical Association retreat led by our bishop-elect, Father Fernandez, just in February. And um, it was an amazing day. And I know I um, it helped really me make some changes in my life and to um, start climbing the forgiveness mountain, as Dr. Meehan told me to do. So um, without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Terrence Meehan, who is the lead psychiatrist at the Lexington VA Health System. He's a faculty at the University of Kentucky and the site director for the VA Psychi- Psychiatry Residency Training and is the president of St. Luke and Gianna Guild of the Catholic Medical Association. So welcome, Dr. Meehan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Well, can you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Yeah, and in, and in the interest of being able to um, focus on forgiveness and healing, I'll, I'll keep this part brief. I'm a psychiatrist and a Catholic. Uh, in my spare time, I'm a musician, so if it makes sound, I like to play around with it. So cello, piano, um, you know, it's a huge hobby of mine, and uh you know, other than that, I pretty much same as everyone else. I've uh, got friends and family that I that I love dearly, and um, I think I'm most passionate about bringing uh, my my faith into everything that I do. And in psychiatry, you know, I like to say that there's a lot of science, there's a lot of neuroscience and chemistry, but so much of it is 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 soul work. It's so, it's such a spiritual field, really, when you get down to it. That every day is a bit an uh, adventure. And uh, I love being able to have the privilege of entering into people's journeys with them and helping them in, in whatever way that I can. So. Have you always um, been active in your faith life, Doctor? Or are you, is this more of an, a new awakening at this point in your life? That's a good question. I, like everything else, I think it's, it's developed over time. My, my faith journey, I guess, I think it began with, with, uh, with my blindness. So I'm legally blind, um, closer to the blindness side than to the sighted side, I would say, at this point in my life. And consistently, I think Jesus has drawn closest to me in my vision loss. And as St. Paul tells us, I really can relate to the idea that it's in my weakness that I'm strongest because it's in my weakness that he, that he meets me, that I'm most uh, receptive to him. And that has been really a uh, an incredible journey, a heavy cross, but also a great opportunity to, to meet our Lord over and over again. 
And I guess my faith journey started off very, very intellectual. I was, I loved the books. I loved the words. I loved the apologetics, C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton or Aquinas or even further back than that, the history and the philosophy behind it as well. And I saw, I saw the hand of the creator in science and fell in love with, with science and biochemistry and then made my way to medicine. But as time has gone on more and more, I've been, I think he's, it's, he's moving, he's, he wooed me first by my mind, I guess you could say, and then he moved to the heart. So now where I see and appreciate God the most, I think, is, is actually in relationships and in the Trinity. I have a special love for the Trinity, both in the in nature of God, but also the Trinitarian nature of human beings and human relationships with each other and with God. So that, I think, is you know, currently where I, I spend a lot of my faith life and my, and my devotions, all things, all things Trinity. So my priest friends will tell you that, you know, talk to me for more than 30 seconds about anything spiritual, and I'll be talking about the Trinity. So I guess that's it in a nutshell. That's amazing. That's a tough topic for most of us to uh, wrap our minds around. So what a beautiful witness. Well, today we want to talk about healing, forgiveness, and reconciliation. I know this is a huge topic in a short time, but I know everyone the past few years have been difficult, and a lot of people um, need some healing um, and relationships that need reconciliation. So um, I guess in your nutshell version, can you share a little bit about this topic and how to even start? Yes. I think I will focus specifically on forgiveness and reconciliation as a thinking about forgiveness almost as a, as a certain species of healing. I think the the topic of healing is such a huge one that I think we'll we'll bite off something a little more digestible for for right now, and then we can expand if, if there's any more time after that. But I think forgiveness is certainly something that is is greatly needed. Um, in it's, I mean, gosh, I wish I could put it in the water supply. And um, everybody needs, uh, you know, I think more mercy and more forgiveness and grace in their lives, both from one another and to one another. So I guess I'll try to break it down. Now, there's no objectively right way to, quote-unquote, do this or to think about it, but this is one way that I think people often find helpful. So it's, it's one way of thinking about it. So let's think about anger for a second. So we perceive an event. The perception of the event is associated with mental pain and suffering. And then... Sneakily in the background, without us even knowing it, oftentimes, creeps in our notion of justice and injustice, fairness and unfairness. So you take an event, causes pain, and we associate it with an injustice and attribute it to another person, and voila, you get the emotional reaction of anger. And then once you have the emotion, like any good emotion, anger prompts you to do something. Emotions want you to move. They want you to do something about it. And it's very easy to get caught in a loop of reactivity where things happen, we have an immediate emotional reaction, and we have a reactive, you know, a reactive behavior. And that tends to perpetuate, and it tends to be a sort of spiritual concrete. It makes us more stiff and rigid, and ultimately it limits our spiritual vision because we're just sort of trapped in this causal loop of reactivity. So something has to break that cycle. And I think that the first 
step of that process of breaking the cycle is what a neuroscientist would call cognitive restraint, but a Catholic would call meekness. So meekness, you could say, is specifically the cardinal virtue of temperance applied to the emotion of anger. And temperance is a beautiful and often misunderstood virtue involving a well-ordered relationship. Temperance isn't simply, oh, don't do that so much, or it's not, it's not this kind of nagging, oh, you're having too much of this. Temperance is about a harmonious relationship to a good thing, right? So emotions are good because they communicate. So they're not inherently bad by any means. So temperance with regards to the emotion of anger we call meekness. Meekness is not being a shrinking violet. It's not being a wallflower. It's not even being soft-spoken. You can be incredibly assertive and also meek. Meekness just means that you have enough control and restraint, and I should say even better, a healthy relationship with your anger so that you're not reacting to it. So I like to tell my patients that your emotions are a lot like children. So if a child comes up to you, it might ask for, I mean, who... Children ask for a lot of outlandish things, right? But no matter what they're asking for, a good, loving parent will listen to them compassionately, and then if they need to have healthy boundaries with the child, they'll have the healthy boundaries, right? But they do both at the same time. It's true for our emotions as well. It's always good to listen to them compassionately, but not necessarily to do everything they're telling you to do. So it's very critical that in order to stop the loop that you listen to the anger and recognize, I'm experiencing anger, and be mindful and think about how the anger feels, where you're feeling it, and really get to know that feeling and and exercise that cognitive restraint. And there's many ways people can kind of exercise that muscle, and a great way of doing it is, is any kind of meditative practice. So, you know, mindfulness meditation is very popular these days. There's a lot of Catholic prayers that are highly meditative, um, that are, you know, very repetitive prayers. There's many ways of doing it, but just getting yourself to a place where you can, uh, where you can non-judgmentally and objectively observe yourself and build that muscle is, I think, really critical for building that cognitive restraint. So, okay, let's say you've done that successfully. Congratulations. What's step number two? Step number two is what the neuroscientists would call perspective taking. Now, from a Catholic theological point of view, I like to break this into kind of three main steps, right? First, you look at yourself, then you look at Christ, and then you look at your neighbor, right? So initially, when you're reacting in anger, you're not looking at yourself, and you're not looking at Christ. You're looking at your neighbor, and you are, you are casting dispersions, and you're passing judgments, right? You just, you are assuming the, the seat of the judge, and, and to make that judgment, you're kind of doing three things. Sorry for all the lists. But when you're judging somebody, truly judging, you're doing three things. One is okay, and the other two are, I can't think of really any scenario in which they're good. The first thing that you're doing, which is okay, is you're trying to discern the moral quality of a behavior that you've observed. There's usually nothing wrong with that. That's prudence. It's good to be able to discern, I think that behavior morally is good or not so good. We have to navigate the world, right? But where the judgment comes in is parts two and three, right? So number one, you discern the moral quality of someone's behavior, and you say, well, that was rotten, right? But then number two, you, you pretend to the knowledge of the degree of culpability that that person had. So you say, they did this, and they know what they did, or they could have done better, right? 
you pretend to this knowledge basically of how freely they were operating. And the truth is, you don't know that. I don't know that. They don't even know that. The only person who knows that is God. Only God can see the, to the depths of someone's heart. So that knowledge is never accessible to us. So every time we pretend to, to know how culpable someone was for an action, we are pretending to knowledge we don't have, and we're sitting in the judge's seat that we don't belong in. Uh, in number three, we're passing the sentence, just like a judge would, right? We say, they did this, this is how wrong it was, and therefore, this is what needs to happen to restore order to my little cosmos. I need to do this. I need to use this tone. I need to retaliate. And that is also kind of absurd if you think about it in a, in a sober state of mind. It's just kind of silly, right? Because only God has knowledge of what perfect justice looks like because he is truth. We have an intuition about what justice feels like and what fairness feels like, but, our, but so do children. And in many ways, our sense of justice and fairness is, is as rudimentary as that of a child. It's very, very, very limited very limited compared to looking at, you know, an eternal and perfect truth cast by the light of God, right? So when we, when we look at ourselves, we're part of this perspective taking, I should say, is very much dependent upon the virtue of humility, being able to see things more as they really are, being able to see things in the light of truth. So seeing yourself as the creature, not as the creator, seeing yourself as the one who is saved, not the savior, and seeing yourself as the one who is the child of God and not the judgment, the judge of creation. So when you look at yourself by looking at yourself objectively, your emotions, and looking at your underlying wounds, you are engaging in self-compassion and you're beginning a healing process by getting to know yourself better rather than just doing whatever your wounds tell you to do. And when you look at Christ, you're acknowledging him as the Savior and him as the judge. And there's a couple parables that I love that really illustrate this point, and both involve a master and two servants. And this comes up in a couple of the different Gospels, but one of the parables emphasizes the fact that any debt that we have towards one another is nothing compared to the infinite debt that we all owe to God. So maybe I owe you $20, right? But maybe you owe God trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Right? That's sort of the point in the parable. He uses this kind of beautiful poetic hyperbole where the master forgives an enormous sum of debt, and then that servant immediately goes off and starts strangling and beating the tar of another servant who owes him you know, the equivalent of 50 bucks, right? And it's absurd, and we all, we read the parable, and we go, ha, 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 right? But we all do that all the time, or at least we're tempted to, if we're honest with ourselves. And then the other parable emphasizes the fact that one servant owes a great amount of money, and another, another servant owes a very small amount of money, and yet neither servant has anything to pay the money back. So both are equally in debt because effectively they're infinitely in debt because they can't help themselves. And that's the position we're all in as well. So there's no use comparing how much do I owe God versus how much does this other person owe God, right? It's a completely, it's a dead end. It doesn't lead us anywhere. And when we're looking at Christ and we're seeing that infinite mercy and experience the gratitude for that, it puts things in perspective. And when we acknowledge Christ as the judge, it also frees us 
from the burden of pride that puts all that pressure on us to judge and bring order back to the universe. Thank God that's not our job. That's God's job. And so we can let go of that burden. And it's a very liberating thing. Once you get out of the habit of doing that, it's a very, very liberating thing to just approach the world in a non-judgmental way. A discerning way and a prudential way, but a non-judgmental way. It's a much easier way of going through life. Now, if someone has done all of this, right, and there's probably a lot of practical tips to, to make this happen, but then you look at your neighbor. And if you've done all these other things and you look back at your neighbor, you see them in a completely different light. You see them as a person who's just as wounded as you are, as someone who's just in need of mercy as you are, and you see them in a way that acknowledges the mystery. You don't know what's happening inside their mind. All kinds of things might be happening inside their mind, right? And in order, the process of thinking about all the different things that could be happening inside of another person's mind, the psychiatrists and psychologists call that mentalization. And it's a way of, of adding some humility into the way we relate to other people, right? Someone might do something, and we, we, we tend to jump to a conclusion, this is why they did it, right? We, we pretend to knowledge of their motives. But in reality, it could be any number of things. And oftentimes, people don't even know their own motives. So how can we know their motives? Only God truly really knows that. So this is kind of, broadly speaking, step two, which is this perspective taking. It lifts a lot of air into this process and lets a lot of anger out of it, right? Without dismissing the anger or suppressing it, it's not good to suppress that every time you suppress an emotion, it just goes underground and then comes up as a two-headed monster somewhere else. It's about seeing things as they are, embracing them as they are, and um, moving through them in, in a much freer way. And then the, the third step is, is very practical. The neuroscientists would call it social valuation. And I think our Lord might say, if you can go be reconciled to your neighbor, go do that. But also be as innocent as doves, but as shrewd as vipers. So what am I talking about? This is the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is a process that only requires your own heart and God. Forgiveness does not require the participation of the other person. It doesn't. You can forgive someone who's completely unrepentant and who is completely stiff-necked. You can still forgive them. That's the best type of person to forgive because when you forgive that way, you're very close to Christ. Reconciliation is a reestablishment of the bond between two people. So whereas forgiveness is an act of agape love, it's a spiritual act, reconciliation has to do with the bond between the whole human person with another whole human person. And people are spiritual, but they're also intellectual and emotional. So it requires the emotional bond be reestablished. So Jesus tells us, love our enemies. He doesn't say, don't have enemies. In fact, he basically promises that we will have enemies. So having an enemy is not a bad thing in a moral sense. It's a sad thing, but it's not an evil thing. So if you have someone that you has, you've gone through this process with and, you're, and you've forgiven them and you're trying to forgive them and you're in the process of forgiveness, can you reconcile with them? Well, you don't have to, but you can try 
if it seems at all possible. So this is where prudence comes in. Can I reconcile with this person? Is it possible? Do I have the type of relationship that I need to reconcile with this person? Or am I ever going to encounter them ever again? If this is a person that I'm very close to, a family member, close friend, colleague, spouse, uh, a child, then yes, you should do everything within your power to try to not just forgive, but to reconcile. But because reconciliation requires two people and we're not in control of our neighbor, there's no guarantee that it'll happen because it, re- it requires the reestablishment of the emotional bond. In order for the emotional bond to be reestablished, it requires more than just a spiritual act. It requires mutual emotional vulnerability and the reestablishment of trust. And in order to do that, you have to have a reasonably similar vision of reality. If you have completely different visions of reality, it's very hard to be vulnerable enough to trust somebody. If they're completely unrepentant or you're completely unrepentant or they're not accepting any responsibility or you're not accepting any responsibility, it's going to be very hard to reconcile because how can you trust a person who's just not seeing the same thing that you are? Dialogue is, is derived from the, the, the term dia logos or shared knowledge. In order to have trust, you have to have goodwill and a certain degree of shared knowledge in order to reestablish the emotional bond through trust and vulnerability. So that's probably enough of, of me. Oh, I should say a few um, uh, appendix points. Um, one is this. People often think that if they still experience anger, that means that they're failing at forgiving someone. It's like, oh, it's been such a long period of time since something happened, and I still feel angry when I think of this person. That doesn't mean that you have failed to forgive them in a spiritual sense. It might just mean that forgiveness is a process and sometimes a lifelong process. That's not always a one-and-done kind of thing. And it's just a reminder to re-engage back into that spiritual process, that the anger is your heart still telling you, I don't know about this person, that really hurt, right? Your heart is still demanding attention to this thing, to pay attention to it and engage in the process all over again. There's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It just means we're human. But it might also indicate uh, an unhealed wound, that requires more attention. It may indicate that trust hasn't been fully reestablished and you haven't fully reconciled with the person. It may indicate a number of things. It doesn't just mean that you're a bad Christian and you're, you're not forgiving correctly. So it's, it's very important that people not feel ashamed of the emotions that they're having and that they simply face them as they are and try to understand them. Um, so that is probably enough of me yammering about it, but I think that is it in a nutshell. Yes, thank you so much. That was amazing. I got to hear Dr. Meehan give this in a full one-hour presentation. So he was able to squeeze all the highlights in here into into 15 minutes. And we only have a couple minutes left in the show, but I know you're very involved with the Catholic Medical Association. So can you quickly tell us who should join and why? Everybody, everybody (laughs) in healthcare. Yeah, everybody in healthcare should join. Uh, I think the Catholic Medical Association is doing really rare work in terms of promoting the principles of, of Catholic teachings in the science and the practice of medicine. And you know, we live in an increasingly secular culture, and there's an increasing encroachment of some of the, some of the, some of the principles of secularism into medicine. And so the Catholic Medical Association is a, a bit of a safe haven for protecting things like uh, conscientious objection, 
and um, a lot of other really hot-button issues that are near and dear to most Catholics' hearts. And I find that that's it's really quite rare in medicine, and they're, it's a very principled organization. I find that there's also people with a lot of different kind of viewpoints. So, uh, uh, you know, intellectually, I think it's a, it's a wonderful place to be. Spiritually, it's a wonderful place to be. They do, they promote a lot of networking. They have community building through their guild system of over 100 guilds uh, throughout the country. And doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, everybody who is in healthcare, I think, um, would be, would might benefit from looking into it. And clergy, right, can join? Yes, absolutely. So it's a good, great, amazing source. And locally here, you can find out more at cmacbus.com. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Meehan, for joining us today on Inspired by Faith. Um, you are listening to the program of the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. I'm Michelle Fanley, and in studio with Emily Jaminette, and we are just finishing up talking with Dr. Terrence Meehan about healing and forgiveness. So thank you, Terry, and God bless you, and God bless your work. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Emily. God bless you, too. Thanks. Awesome. What an important topic. I can tell you that um, I we have just a short two minutes here left, but I can tell you that I've been significantly impacted by some of um, Dr. Meehan's messages on forgiveness, and um, God's really been working on my heart on this. So it was really a gift to um, have that. And having a Catholic psychologist, I don't think it's a very um, popular field for Catholic uh, physicians to go in. So it's it's a gift. You know what? I think that I really want to challenge our listeners to forward this podcast to friends and family. I mean, it was a condensed lecture. I think you and I both were taking notes. Copious notes. I mean, we really wanted him to speak and to fully present because I think the lesson that he gave here, um, I don't know where else you could get this type of really instructive, well-formed Catholic psychology. SaintGabrielRadio.com. Yes, that's why we love St. Gabriel, because they're willing to share the truth. Um, If you're feeling looped in that anger, if you're feeling upset, you know, he goes through meekness. Just the um, the entire talk today, I think, is well worth forwarding and, and diving deep and listening again and again. Well, we're going to close in a prayer that Emily and I wrote in our book, The Friendship Project. It's called The Prayer of Forgiveness and Friendship. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, I ask you them to mend the lift be- between my friend and me. Help me to offer my sincere apology for anything I have said or done to hurt my friend and extend forgiveness for anything that she has done to offend me. I ask you to bless my friend and give her all she needs to be happy and fulfilled. I thank you for using this opportunity to help sanctify me. I praise you, Lord, and I give this wound to you. Please heal our relationship and may your perfect plan lead us to complete joy. Amen. Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us today on Inspired by Faith. We hope you are blessed and inspired by this episode. To find out more about the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference, visit ColumbusCatholicWomen.com. And to hear more about Emily and my work, be sure to check out InspireTheFaith.com.